Lord, shall we? Why don't you give them the best hand clap of praise you've given them all service? What a mighty God we serve! What a mighty God we serve! I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to Bakersfield, California. And we are at 238, and the theme this year is proclaim, and to proclaim is to have a forward cry. And so that cry is an offensive cry. We are taking the initiative. Exodus 33 and 19 says we're proclaiming the name of the Lord. Now, I've always just kind of, if you do this, fine. But sometimes when I hear a preacher say, I'm going to count to three and you're going to do this, I'm like, oh, God, not another one. But I'm going to count to three. <laughs> and when I count to three, I want everybody to shout your name. Okay? We're just going to introduce everybody to one another. Okay? So when I count to three, I want you to shout your name. Okay? One, two, three. That didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense. It was incongruent. It was inharmonious and it was nothing but confusion. But when I count to three and I have you call the name that's above every name and you shout the name of Jesus, it's going to be different than when you shouted your name. Okay? I'll probably never do this again in my life. I can't believe I'm doing it, but here we are. One, two, three, shout his name! Something happens when I call that name! Come on, shout it again! Shout it again! All hail the power of Jesus' name! Oh, let's worship Him! That's the name above heaven! That's the name above every name in the earth! That's the name above every name of kings under the earth. My, my, my. Well, I thank God I'm here. I don't know if I'm all there, but I am here. I thank God for traveling mercies. And I'd rather them say Brother McDonald arrived late than the late Brother McDonald never arrived. And I want to give honor to the pastor of this local assembly and his fine wife, Pastor and Sister Bradford. We love them very much. What a dynamic preacher and teacher of the gospel that he is. And of course, Bishop Frosty and I have been friends for quite some time. We certainly love him and give him honor. And, and of course, uh, our friend Peyton and his new bride, London, we love them. Thank God for the work that they're doing and the work that they're going to do. Praise God. I'm glad my family's with me. Hallelujah. I took my wife and kids from the cornfields to the oil fields. Amen. Praise God. Four children. One is fun, two would do, three was fine with me, and now we have four and there'll be no more. We finally, finally 
realized we were going to have a girl, we were very excited, and we were discussing names. And I told my wife, I said, I, you know, the Young's kids, Boston and London, I like those names. Let's name our daughter London. And my wife said, you're not taking London Young's name and giving it to our daughter. Well, I have to come up with another city, and Gilead and Beersheba really didn't fit, so we named her Brooklyn. And I'm glad that they're with us. And Brother Phillips, it's good to be with you, and I listened to you preach last night. I'm sorry that I wasn't here. I just, man, I wanted to jump into the screen and, and preach with them. And then I was telling them, Lord, make them shut up. He's preaching everything that I want to preach. So I had to listen to them. I've never heard them, never met them. I had to see what I was up against. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll show up. I'll be okay. That was a good word from God that we heard last night. Thank God for two baptized in the Holy Ghost. Okay, I do real good. I do real good if you just yell at me and shout while I'm, while I'm preaching. The, the good thing about being the day speaker, a couple years ago I was the night speaker, uh, I, I really don't have to do too much today. I'm just here to babysit you to get you through tonight, okay? So I really don't care if you shout and dance and do it, but, but just talk to me while I'm, I'm preaching, okay? All right? I don't care if you clap your hands, but you can hide behind that stuff. You need to get your mouth open. Nothing happens till you get your mouth open. Because when you open up your mouth and you say amen, you're committing yourself to the word. You can do this mindlessly, but when you say amen, you're engaging in the word of God. I'm reading from Luke's gospel, the 15th chapter, Luke chapter 15, hallelujah. I really feel like God's going to do something in this altar call this afternoon, okay? And this is what I felt, I'm just going to give it to you, and we'll go from there, all right? Luke chapter 15. Luke, being a Gentile, is really interested in people. And his gospel is a universal gospel. Interestingly enough, he writes more about the Holy Ghost than the other gospel evangelist. But being a Gentile, Luke writes more about women than the other gospel evangelist, more about children. He's interested in the sick being a physician, the marginalized, and he writes more about sinners than any of the other gospel writers. And so this is very fitting that he would, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, include this in his writings. Just two verses here, okay? Luke 15, verse 1 through 2. Then drew near unto him all the Republicans. Oh, I'm sorry, the publicans. I need glasses. And sinners. <laughs> Let's just keep reading the word of God, okay? For to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. 
this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And, and I've, <laughs> I've, you know, I might as well be myself. Everybody else is taken, right? I preached this once already so they know who I am. Okay? So I'm just going to be me. And, and so I've, I've got a word for the Pharisees from Jesus Christ. They're charging him with receiving sinners and eating with them. And this is going to be my title, Pharisees. It's worse than that. Okay? All right. Set your Bibles down and raise your hands toward the heavens one more time. Hallelujah. Let's create another atmosphere of worship and receptivity for what the Holy Ghost of God would like to do in this place. sanctuary that's where we're at yeah. I don't sing brother I don't know if you're looking at me unless you have a request we'll just preach out yeah that's what I all right you may be seated God bless you I want to read a familiar portion of scripture and when I read it don't shut me out because we're so well known, uh, this passage is so well known, sometimes our mind has a tendency when we've heard something so many times, when we hear it read, we automatically know where the preacher's going. Well, you don't know where I'm going because I wrote the notes. Okay? And so we have to rescue and redeem truth from familiarity. We hear it so much, our mind can just say, well, we know what this means and what it says and where he's going. And we just shut our minds off. But let's open up our minds and let's open up our spirits. In Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. And it doesn't say this. I wish it did in parentheses. The Lord is my shepherd. And just because I'm reading this doesn't mean I'm at a funeral. This is not just a funeral psalm. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means, uh, in, especially in those days, there is no homeland security. In those days, there were no guns. When you left the village and went out into the desert to uh, bring your flock to pasture, the only protection that you had was the Lord. And so David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Hallelujah. Is, that's the question today. Is the cup half full or half empty? My cup runs over. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 depicts the cycle of life. It's the ebb and flow of the shepherd with 
uh, his flock with his sheep. David will have a son, Solomon, who will write along these lines in the book of Ecclesiastes as he writes, to everything there is a season. Things come and things go, and there's this natural course of life that just kind of goes like this. Hallelujah. Amen. If it went like this, that means you're flatlined and you're comatose and you're dead and you need to be six feet in the ground and the groundhogs are bringing you your mail. Hallelujah. But thank God we're not dead. We are alive. Through the highs and the lows, we can say the Lord is my shepherd. This is probably the most quoted, the most cited, the most recognized, and the most loved passage in the Bible. And who better to write a psalm with this type of a backdrop than Israel's most beloved and favorite shepherd, King David, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. David is the greatest shepherd Israel has known. But even David points to a greater shepherd that would come after him. Obviously, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the personalization of this psalm that David gives. He uses words like my and I and me and mine. I was listening to a, a Jewish theologian talk about uh, how we memorize scriptures and then we vocalize and verbalize scriptures and uh, how there's a therapeutic healing property that comes. If I can use the word chant, I'm not using that in the wrong way, or as we murmur or as we quote the word of God, there is a rhythm, amen, that comes. And Psalm 23 shows that, not only in the Hebrew, but also in English. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and on and on it goes, hallelujah. And Psalm 23 is perfectly located in the Psalter, for Psalm 22 talks about the crucifixion of the Son. And Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Psalm 23 is the death of the Son. Jesus is the great shepherd who died and was buried. Psalm 24 is the resurrection and the ascension of the Son. Jesus is the chief shepherd who is coming again. Who is the king of glory? And I'm glad it just doesn't ask a question, but it answers it. This king of glory is the Lord strong and mighty. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty. He shall come in. The part I want to focus on in the 23rd Psalm is the third verse. What a declaration David makes. He restoreth my soul. This is usually taken to mean he restoreth my soul. We had a good worship service. Our spirits were depleted. We're depressed because we didn't get enough likes on Instagram and Facebook. But we came to the house of God and the praise leader was just another hustler that got me on my feet. Amen. And the preacher preached me happy and my spirits were low. I was depressed. Now I feel better about my world. He restores my soul. Something about that just didn't sit well with me. I thought there's 
got to be more to what the psalmist is saying than God's just making me feel good about myself and my world condition and my situation. So I got to digging around in that verse and, and I found that verse has a totally different meaning than the one that I just gave you where the King James says he restoreth my soul the literal translation is, he brings me back. Okay, so now my mind, such as it is, <laughs> it's working. He brings me back to what? It also means he causes me to return. Okay, so he causes me to return where? Here's the linchpin. He, it also means he causes me to repent. So I thought, causes me to repent to who? So the what is God, the where is God, and the who is God. Wycliffe translation renders that verse, he converted my soul, and I love what the choir sang today, and he put me on the right path. That's what that means, he restoreth my soul. Middle Eastern translations of that verse have always rendered it, he brings me back. So this is, this, is, this, is, this is new to me, you know, because I thought this was about me getting my little praise on and, and God making me feel good on Sunday. We need more than just a feel good on Sunday. We need a revolutionary change that'll take us from now until the rapture. I don't know where we got this idea that the church is just a quick fix, like a needle in the arm. What God does is substantial. What God does is everlasting. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it over here on this side. It's not God's will for you young people to jump from meeting to meeting and conference to conference and praying through and praying through. Can I get some quit about you? I'm telling you, the Lord will anchor you. I believe the Lord will root you. I don't believe we have to have the north wind blow us into the next county, hallelujah. But I believe the Lord will sustain us. I believe the Lord will keep us. I believe the Lord will substantiate us. I love this meeting, and this is one of the best youth meetings I've been to. Baby, but what God wants to give you today is not to last you till the next 238. It's to change your mind. It's to change your spirit. It's to change your direction. Okay, okay just, just sit down. It's not that good, really. This is just Bible class. Middle Eastern translations render it, he brings me back. So I called Brother Azar, missionary to Lebanon. And I said, Brother Azar... This is, what I'm, this is what I'm reading in the Hebrew. He said, do you know a little Hebrew? I said, no, but I know a little Greek. And he stands about this high, and he owns a pizza shop in the city where I was raised. I said, I don't know a little Hebrew, but I know a little Greek. He said, Brother McDonald, that's exactly. My notes say you should be laughing now. Okay. My kids call me boomers, a boomer. And, and they say the only people that laugh at your jokes are old heads. So. So be it. Yeah, boo-hoo to them. That's, that's what I say. 
to that. He said, Brother McDonald, that's exactly what it means. Amen. He restoreth my soul means he brings me back. He restoreth my soul means, amen, he brings me back to a place of repentance. Oh, now I'm ready to lock and load. Hallelujah. Amen. The Hebrew word is shub. Now, we may not be too familiar with it in Psalm 23, but I promise you are familiar with it. When David starts repenting and confessing to God, and he said, create within me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit cast me not away from thy presence take not thine holy spirit from you ready for this restore unto that's the word restore unto me the joy of thy salvation oh what a mighty god we serve and that's the clarion call of the prophets to old testament israel repent Come back. Let God restore you. He restoreth my soul. So now, so now Psalm 23 gives the depiction of a lost sheep. And it doesn't matter why the sheep is lost, it's lost. And it's a race to find the lost sheep. Because when a sheep is lost, it becomes scared and frightened. And I've listened to Middle Eastern shepherds lecture on this. And, and when they're frightened and scared, they'll hide under a bush or in a rock somewhere. Amen. And they'll start bleeding for the shepherd. Now the problem with that is not only does the shepherd hear the bleeding, but all the predatory animals that are out in the desert and in the wilderness, they hear the bleeding as well. So the race is on. Who's going to get the sheep? Hallelujah. Amen. First, is it going to be the shepherd? or is it going to be the lion and the mountain lion and amen and the bear and the wild dogs hallelujah but David said the Lord is my shepherd he's not like some of <laughs> he's not like some of the other shepherds in Israel the Lord is my shepherd and he goes after the lost he goes after the hurting he goes after the wounded he goes after the disenfranchised and he brings them back doing okay Peyton am I reading your notes good that you email okay I'm just just trying to make him look good that's all and when the shepherd finds him you know what he does he picks that sheep up and lays it on his shoulders he doesn't kick it and say you worthless good for nothing you know what he doesn't pick it up by the nap of the neck can I, can I preach to you a minute, young people? Do you, know, do you know you're part of the bride of Christ? Now, I know, pardon, pardon my colloquialism, and if you don't understand what this means, you will in a minute. God's not looking for a shotgun bride. Okay? Okay. You, some of you guys look unimpressed, so I'm going to go over here and wait. Till, till it catches up with you, okay? You know what a shotgun bride is? When you get to heaven, your pastor's not going to be behind you with a shotgun saying, well, there they are, Lord. I made them go to church, and I made them pray, and I made them line up to the standard. Well, I hope your pastor don't chew, but you understand. Here they are, and I, I made them. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a 
church that's called, chosen, faithful, and hath made herself ready. I got a grand and glorious gospel announcement to make today. I'm not here because I have to be. I'm here because I want to be. I'm not here because mom and dad made me. I love the Lord. I love this apostolic message. And we're not going to get there with the, by the nap of our neck and someone kicking us down the road. It's going to be because the good shepherd found us. And the good shepherd loved us. And he put us on his shoulders. And he carried us home. And because the sheep is tired and worn and scared, well, first of all, it can't make its way home. That's why the shepherd has to go get it. The shepherd now leads the sheep in paths of righteousness. And you know why he does this? I'm so glad you asked. He does this for his namesake. What a name, what a name, what a name. He doesn't do it because you're good. He doesn't do it because you're pretty. He doesn't do it because you've got some type of fan following. And he can care less what your name is. It's his name. It's his glory. It's his reputation. The integrity of the shepherd matters. Okay, you're right. Why? Why does David go to the business end of the lion and the bear, grab the lion by, by its beard? There's a good scripture to keep your face clean shaven. Someone said, how do you handle that in your church, Brother McDonald? I'll tell you how I handled it the other day. I said, the standard in this church is I want absolutely no facial hair. I said, and that goes for you men too. <laughs> That's how you take care of that. <laughs> he got a hold of that animal by the beard and he delivered the lamb right from the paw. Why, David? It's just a lamb. You know, it's not a ewe that, that'll have more sheep somewhere down the road. It's not a ram, which is valuable. But David said, for every flock, for every individual sheep, the integrity and the reputation of the shepherd is on the line. And I'm sending a message, not only to all the shepherds in Israel, but to the animal kingdom. There are no free meals at Jesse's house. Why does, why does Amos say, why does Amos say it's just two legs or a piece of an ear that a shepherd will go after? I'll tell you why. Because his name is on the line. Hallelujah. So it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. Okay. So David becomes king. And unlike other kings of those days and later on, he, 
Well, first of all, he says, is there anybody else left of the house of Saul? Why, you want to kill them like every other king? No, I'm a different type of a king. I want to show somebody in Saul's house kindness. You ready for this? Not because they deserve it, but for Jonathan's sake. And then he says, I want to show somebody the kindness of God. In other words, David is saying, I want to be nice to somebody because Jonathan was good to me. And I'll bless them because Jonathan blessed me. Okay? One of David's servants says, well, yeah, there, there, there's one. Uh, but he lives in Lodabar and he's lame in his legs. David said, go get him. Actually, David said, go fetch him. That's what the Bible says. Why did David say, go fetch him? Because Mephibosheth said, I'm a dead dog. What do you call a dead dog? It don't matter. He's not coming to you anyway. <laughs> David said, he can't get to us, so we'll get to him. That's what a good shepherd does. He goes after the lost. Wait a minute. If you don't shout over this, you're so dry, we're going to have to prime you to spit. Here's a man at five years of age fell from grace, and that fall affected his walk, and he was living in the middle of nowhere. But in the middle of nowhere, the, where is he? Lodabar. I don't even know where Lodabar is. David said, get your map out, boys. We're going to find out where this is. And when nobody else knew where Lodabar was, the king knew where Lodabar was. I'm so glad Jesus found me. You didn't find him. He found you. You can sing all you want to. I have found the way, but really the way found you. Okay, just, just, just sit down. I don't know how to act in crowds like this, okay? Just, Mephibosheth, I want you to eat bread continually at my table. Brother Young, remember preaching that in Alabama? Amen. He said, he said, when my sons are at the table, I want you eating at my table just as if you were one of my biological sons. In other words, when the bell rings, I expect you to be there. Okay, okay, you ready? And I know people have preached this ad nauseum. I preach all this stuff and someone says, where'd you steal that from? I get it from a book called the Bible. <laughs> okay, so this is Bible. From the table up, everybody in David's house looks the same. Because the table covered even Mephibosheth's lame legs. And you have no business looking under the table to see where everybody came from. It doesn't matter what's going on under the table. It's what's going on up from the table up. Hang on. And the Hebrew word for table is rooted in the Hebrew word for grace. You ever sit down and a guest comes to the house? Hopefully you pray for your meal before you eat. Okay? 
And, and if you're going to invite a guest to pray over the meal, sometimes you'll say, would you say grace? The table is the place of grace. That's why we don't eat in the late, we don't eat dinner as a family, one upstairs and one in the basement and one watching TV over here and the other one addicted to YouTube there. Shouldn't be doing that stuff anyway. We come to the table as a family. And all those little olive plants are sitting there. And when we come to the house of God, we come as a family. And some of you came from Lodabar. And you were lame. And life dropped you. But the king found you. And the king brought you back. And it doesn't matter if you're a pale face, if you're black, white, brown, or red, you belong at this table. You belong in the church. You belong in the house of God. And when church is there, show up. And when your pastor's preaching, show up. We're all the same from the table up. I think we ought to worship the Lord. says God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you you've been blessed by God for what the man Christ Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago in other words you couldn't do it yourself you didn't get here by yourself I know some of y'all came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues. You're not the one I'm preaching to. But don't, don't testify to me how you crawled out of an alley. Amen. And how you pulled yourself up out of a bottle and you found this truth. Jesus had to reach down to find you and to drag you out. You didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I think I'll repent and go to the apostolic church. That wasn't your idea. Now, I'm not a Calvinist, and I believe there's some human responsibility here, but if God didn't deal with your heart, you wouldn't have responded. If God didn't show you grace, you couldn't have repented. It's the goodness of God that leads me. He leads me. He leads me in paths. He comes He leads me. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing good. Now that we got that out of the way, I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. I can't live like this on my own. I can't please God on my own. I've got to have Christ in me, helping me to do the work. This is what he preached yesterday. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Okay. 
Phillips, he, he quoted this yesterday. The burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I, I think a lot of us don't know what the anointing is, but I can tell you what it ain't. And I know ain't isn't a word I should use, but this isn't the grammar class, this is Bible class. There's two animals depicted there in Isaiah. The burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder. That's a beast of burden, like a donkey. And the yoke shall be destroyed. The yoke on the neck shall be destroyed. That's a draft animal, like an ox. Okay? And why is the yoke going to be destroyed? What's the yoke? It's, a, it's a, a mechanism used for confinement and restraint. And a yoke can even keep an animal as strong as an ox in line. And it becomes subject to its master. So Isaiah is depicting Israel in a place of servitude to sin. Okay? The yoke, I, I'm King James only, King James bread, and when I die I'll be King James bread. But I, I read some other translations too. You know, if I'm failing God in one, I might as well fail him in the rest of them too, right? No, no, that's not good theology there. No. But, but some render this, and I've got a Hebrew Bible that, that lists it in Hebrew and then, and then in English. It said, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the fat. I thought, man, this is... Because <laughs> when I'm done rejoicing, I'm still rejoicing. Praise God. <laughs> I thought, this, is, but I, this can't be it. This can't be. The anointing shall be destroyed because of the fat. In other words, Isaiah is depicting an animal that has been eating and eating and getting strength and its neck is getting stronger and stronger and fatter to where it's not the master that takes the yoke off. Hallelujah. The animal has something from within inside out. Maybe I should have preached outside in. I don't know. But there's something on the inside of that animal working its way out that destroys the yoke. Its neck gets so fat. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Young people, you don't need deliverance. You need to learn how to destroy things. You need to know how to con well, you need to know how to conquer things. God's not your playboy. God's not, amen, confined in a lamp and you rub it and say, get me out of this dilemma and get me out of this circumstance. No, there's something inside of you. The anointing, the Holy Ghost, the power of God that wants to work its way inside out. And then you conquer addiction. You conquer lust. You conquer unfaithfulness. You conquer immorality. The yoke. Greater is he that's in you. Because 
God's not like a public school teacher that gets tired of dealing with you and just pushes you to the next grade when you're making F's. You're going to be a six foot five, 300 pound looking fool in kindergarten sitting in a chair with your knees sticking up until you learn how to conquer these things. You got to just keep pushing. I, you, know, I've, you know, every other preacher says some things. I feel like saying some things. Your answer isn't going to another church. Why go and ruin that church? Because you know what? It's going to be the same ugly lady wearing a different dress. And it doesn't matter if you live in California and try to move to Alaska. That spirit's going to show up because God's going to make you conquer it. I need a new pastor. I need a new youth leader. I need a new program. You need the anointing. And it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from within. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. That's the power you have in you. I can't do it on my own, but I got something on the inside. Working on the outside. You know what I feel? I felt it when I was listening to the evangelist preach. Amen. I felt it when I rolled up on the church property. There's something. There's a special visitation of God at 238. There's something on the inside of you young people that's trying to work its way out. To break every hold of sin. Okay, sit down. I don't have anywhere to be to 1.30 and then we eat. If you read your Bible, I could have been at the restaurant already. But since you didn't. So Luke 15. Luke 15. Jesus is answering the charge of the Pharisees. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, I'll answer that charge, and I'm going to tell you what it's like. It's like the three stories that follow. And Jesus gives a three-part answer to the charge the Pharisees lay on him, that he receives sinners and he eats with them. Pharisees, you're about to find out it's worse than that. And the Bible says he spake this parable. Which means the three stories that follow, the good shepherd, the good woman, and, and the searching father, they're one answer or a three-part answer to the whole. In other words, I receive sinners and eat with them. I'm going to answer that. And he speaks the parable of the good shepherd, of the good woman, and the searching father. And he said, it's worse than what you guys think. He said, which one of you having a hundred sheep Lose one, you leave the 90 and 9. In other words, you guys are the bad shepherds and I've stepped into human history to clean up your mess. He said, that's the first answer. It's like a man who leaves his sheep in the wilderness and he goes and searches for the one lost 
sheep. The sheep couldn't make it. See, now Psalm 23 is coming into play here. Can, can, can I, can I, you, you guys can handle the word, right? This, man, I was so impressed when I preached. I preached about the tabernacle and you guys were going crazy. I, I, it doesn't take long to find out if a congregation is a word church or not. This is a word conference, I can tell you that, okay? So we have Psalm 23. The shepherd goes after the sheep. He restores, he brings them back to repentance. Jesus is not some country bumpkin. I don't know why we think, well, if we want theology in the New Testament, we got to go to Paul. Well, that's good, but I think Jesus is the greatest theologian that ever lived. He's not given just some country bumpkin <laughs> stories. He's a great theologian. And now Psalm 23 comes into play. I'm going to tell you what it's like, Jesus said. Me receiving sinners and eating with them. It's like a man who leaves the 90 and 9 and he goes after the lost sheep and brings it back. That's Psalm 23. That's also Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 37 where God said, I'm stepping into human history. I'm against the shepherds of Israel that abuse the flock. I'm against the flocks of Israel that bully the sheep, but I'm coming to clean up shop. And now all this is playing in Luke 15. Y'all still with me? Who give me five more minutes? Okay, raise your hands. Give me five, five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. I got plenty of time. The sheep couldn't make its way back itself. The shepherd had to go get it. Bring it back, okay? And like a woman who searches her house for one coin, the coin didn't make its way back itself. Somebody had to search for it. And when she brings it back, it's the same thing. It's Psalm 23. The shepherd goes after the sheep, brings them back. It's the good shepherd in Luke 15. He goes after the lost sheep, brings it back. The woman goes after the coin, she brings it back. And the father in the prodigal son, <laughs> this is so good. If they're recording this, I'm going to buy my own CD. I don't, this, is, this is good. In fact, I may be lined up in the back signing my own Bible. This part is so good. The father has to go after the prodigal, and he also has to go after the elder brother. One's lost away from home, one's lost in the home. You, you see the continuity here? In other words, nobody's getting back by themselves unless the shepherd goes after them. So you say, I receive sinners and I eat with them, it's worse than that. I run after them. I love them. You said a word, you said a word yesterday, and you know what? If, if you don't like this, you don't need to blow up my phone and tell me you don't like me. I've been shot so many times in my life, and sometimes by the enemy. The bullets just go through. I could, I'm like a drunk on Saturday night. I could care less about what you think about me right now. But he used the word yesterday, and so I'm going to use the word. Amen. Psalm 23, the shepherd brings the lost sheep back. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's party time. The shepherd goes after the sheep, he, he, the lost sheep. He brings it back. He doesn't bring it back to the 90 and 9. He brings it back home. It's party time. The woman finds her coin. She brings it back home, calls her friends. It's party time. 
the father gets the prodigal, brings him back, kill the fatted calf. Get the orchestra playing. My son, which was now dead, is alive. It's party time. This is the most expensive celebration ever. It cost God his blood. It cost him his body. It cost him Calvary. When a lost sheep comes home, it's time to celebrate. When God grants repentance, it's time to celebrate. It's worse than that. So the son, I'm almost done. When I'm done, I quit. That's better than some preachers do. <laughs> Father, give me my inheritance. You know what he was saying? Dad, I wish you would just drop dead. Because you don't get your inheritance until your father dies. As far as we know, the father's well. He's running the farm systematically, methodically, and very wealthy. But the son comes to this place where he says, Father, I just wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Now, the father can do whatever he wants to. The father gives him his portion of inheritance. He goes out, and he squanders that inheritance among the Gentiles. And he wakes up one day in a hog pen. <laughs> See, you, you were amen in me a little bit ago, but you may not amen me now. Because you remember all this continuity I was talking about? You remember the shepherd going after the sheep? Psalm 23, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 37, and, and Luke 15, the shepherd goes after the sheep. Sheep doesn't make it home without the shepherd. The coin doesn't make it home without the woman. And the prodigal cannot make it home without the, the father. Which leads me to believe he didn't repent in the hog pen. There's no father. That's what I thought. Oh, here a minute. There's no father in the hog pen. There's no I'm sorry in the hog pen. No, you know what? He, he comes up with a plan to get back on the gravy train because his belly's empty. And he comes to himself. That, that's not repentance. That's the same thing Peter did in Acts 12 when he finally realizes when he gets out of prison, this thing's real. Peter's not repenting. Neither's the prodigal yet. That's what I thought. And he comes up with this solution. My father's servants are fair and better than I am. And since my belly can't digest what the pigs are eating, I got I to gotta devise a way to get back into the father's graces. Well, I got your attention now, don't I? And so he comes up with this plan. I'm going to arise and go to my father. I'm going to tell him I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. That's not repenting. That's what Pharaoh told Moses in the ninth plague. Same word. Same phraseology rather. And those Pharisees who were scholars of the Bible knew exactly what Jesus was saying. There's no repentance here. But he comes up with this idea. I see one of my teachers from Wilson University. Man, am I really nervous now. Am I doing okay? Okay, okay. She doesn't want to commit herself too much. She just gave me the thumbs up. I've come up with this idea. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to tell my sin against him in heaven. I'm no worthy to be called your son. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him, make me like one of your hired servants. Second insult. The first insult is when he told his father, drop dead and give me my inheritance. That's the first insult. The second insult is, dad, how big does the check have to be for me to write to this to you, to get back into your graces, to be a son? He still does. See, it's not, it's not so much that he squandered the inheritance. He's got a broken relationship with the father. And he doesn't understand his father and his love and his grace. Okay, you ready? Okay, so he gets out of the hog pen. He doesn't get home without dad. And the father does something no stately Jewish man of that day would ever do. He ran to the prodigal son. I've, I've got it written here in my notes. There's a Jewish uh, rabbi, amen, he said, uh, a Jewish stately man, a Middle Eastern man, doesn't run. If he runs, that's, that's a sign that things are out of control. He walks with class and he walks with dignity. But the father made his way to the son quickly. You know why? Hang on. Because the village is against him. See, when he did that to the Father, they were not an independent group of people like we are in the United States. They are a collective village. The village was against him, and if they found him first, they'd kill him. At least he understood that. He didn't say, I will arise and go to my Father's house. He said, I'm going to arise and go to my Father. That part's good. Why is that? There's a theology of the Father, and there's a theology of the Father's house. He knew the Father's house was against him, but he said, the shot I got is to get to my father. Somehow I believe he's not against me. I don't understand his love and I don't understand his grace but I gotta make my way to him. I'm almost done. Do I got to Am I done? Oh, okay. So the father runs. This is good. This is good. And they wore long robes in those days. That means he had to gird himself and expose his leg and his thigh, which was a shame. Amen. And it was nakedness was a shame. And that's why young ladies, the pastor teaches, when you sit, your skirt should come well below your knee. Amen. Because exposure from the hip to the knee is nakedness. But the father girded himself, and the whole farm saw it. Hallelujah. Amen. And the father ran. Hallelujah to the son. That's the incarnation. That's the humiliation of Christ. That's his condescension to creation. The prodigal couldn't make his way to the father but the father made his way to the prodigal is there anybody believe that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily Jesus is the mighty God in Christ and he runs he runs and he falls Pharisees, it's worse than what you think. And he falls on the son. Why? Because the law said you stoned a rebellious son. And the father said, if you're going to kill him, you've got to go through me. Okay, hang on. Here's, here's the repentance. Here's the repentance. Just, just sit down. I'm almost done. Okay, we'll go eat our chicken dinner. I'm almost done. Now, now the prodigal can repent 
Because here's the continuity. Psalm 23, go after the lost sheep. Luke 15, shepherd goes after the lost sheep, brings it back. Woman goes after the coin, brings it back. The father gets the son. Now listen to what the son says. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no worthy to be called your son. Guess what's missing? He doesn't say, make me as one of your hired hands. Because he realizes, I can't work my way into your graces. I can't work my way to be a son. Listen, I know it's, it's, it's shouting ground on Sunday when we preached the prodigal took a journey from give me to make me. Hallelujah. Amen. But I got enough of Nathaniel J. Wilson in me to realize we are more than just servants. We are sons and we need to operate as sons with authority in the kingdom of God. As long as you stay a servant, hallelujah, you'll never understand what the farm is all about. Hallelujah. You got to be a son to know the authority. Amen. To know the will. To know the delegation of the Father. That's when he repented. When the Father made his way to him. And he brings him home. Put shoes on his feet. Why? Slaves didn't wear shoes. He's not a slave. He's a son. You preach it. Put the authority signet ring on his hand. You mean you're going to try? Yeah, he restoreth my soul. You know, there's a good scripture in the book of Revelation. I'm glad it doesn't say this. He makes all new things. It doesn't say that. The Bible says he makes all things new. God could have wiped us out and obliterated us and started over. But the redeeming quality of God said, I'll work with what I've got. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. He's a new species. I'll take what I've got. Put that authority on him. Put the best robe on him. And all the servants' jaws dropped. The best robe. You heard me. Put the best robe on him. Well, boss, if we're going to put the best robe on him, we're going to have to go into your house. And we're going to have to go into your bedroom. And we're going to have to walk into your closet. And we're going to have to give him your robe. Because you've got the best robe on the farm. Put it on them. Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Put it on them. This my son. Okay, let's stand. Let's stand. And the brother that stayed home, he'd been there so long, still doesn't know what the music's all about. Still doesn't know what all the celebration's all about. And so the father does what no Middle Eastern father would ever have done. He leaves the party. Read your Bible. And he goes out to the older brother. You're complaining about a fatted calf? You're complaining about the music? He said, everything I had was yours. You didn't know how to act and operate as a restored son. Both sons were lost. And Jesus said he had to go after. See, Jesus sees himself as the father. We call it the prodigal son. We really ought to call it the prodigal father. Prodigal means to waste and to be lavish in spending. What a celebration there was that day when the father just poured out the best on one lost sheep that came home. See, Pharisees, it's worse than you think. I just don't receive them, and I just don't eat with them. 
I have banquets for them. And I know, I know while I'm eating, I got some brothers in the house and on the farm that they don't like me, but he still prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're still rejoicing the sheep came home. We're still rejoicing that the coin came home. And then, and then the answer, it just, it abruptly stops. We don't know if the elder brother ever came in. Who's the elder brother? He's the Pharisees. You guys are just as lost as the one in the hog pen. And Jesus isn't minimizing sin. He said, do you want to know what I think about sin? Sin is like a son who tells his father to drop dead. See, when you sin, young people, you're acting like there is no God. And you take your inheritance and squander it among the Gentiles, and now you're feeding pigs. That's what Jesus thinks of sin. But he goes after them, just like the woman with the coin, just like the shepherd with the sheep, just like the 23rd Psalm. And so it ends. Pharisees, are you going to come in and join the celebration? Because you're just as lost as the one in the hog pen. Okay? For 300 years, I'm done. I'm, tomorrow, I'll preach 10 minutes, and I'm out of here, okay? For 300 years, Pastor Young, the, the primary symbols of the church. Uh, <clears throat> let me start it this way. They, they unearthed some tombs uh, in the, the Vatican catacombs, and they said these tombs were, this, this blew my mind. The theologian, the historian rather said, they weren't Catholic tombs, and they weren't Protestant tombs. Well, if they weren't Catholic and Protestant, which I'm not Protestant anyway, that leads me to believe that this burial place that they found were one God, tongue-talking, Jesus-named people. And they knew this because Catholic catacombs and tombs have pictures of the Virgin Mary, the suffering servant, uh, purgatory, the cross. Okay? These tombs had different symbols. And for the first 300 years, the primary symbols of Christianity were three things. The vine, because Christ said, my father is the husband and I am the true vine. Okay? A fish, probably because Jesus called his disciples and said, I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what the third symbol was? The good shepherd. For 300 years, the primary symbol of Christianity was a shepherd with a lost sheep on his shoulder, rejoicing, bringing it back to the fold. It's worse than you think, Pharisees. I receive them. I eat with them. I cleanse them, I forgive them, I embrace them, I kiss them, I hug them, I wait for them, and I'm the one that restores them. And so now the Pharisees realize Jesus is claiming to be the God of Psalm 23, Jeremiah 23, and Ezekiel 37. Is man getting better? Is man getting worse? It's a moot point. Because Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. As I was getting off the plane from Phoenix to Bakersfield, there was a couple sitting in front of my wife and I. 
and I stood up just waiting to leave. And, and she was tatted up, okay? That, that's the thing about tattoos. It seems like a good idea at the time. But you know, they're putting a little Tweety Bird here. Wait till they gain about 100 pounds and it's going to look like Godzilla. <coughs> Whatever. The only thing I want is the father's name sealed in my forehead right here. But I looked, this, this was sad, I, I didn't even get to tell Sister McDonald. I looked at her right hand and tattooed on her hand, on her fingers, L-O-S-T, lost. And it was there, I thought, Lord, thank you for finding me. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for bringing me back. Thank you for putting shoes on my feet. I don't deserve it. Thank you for the authority. Thank you for the... Man, I got the best robe in the house. I'm arrayed in the fine white linen, the righteousness of the saints, baptized in Jesus. I know, I know this probably was more fitting maybe in an adult Bible class, but this is what the Holy Ghost was dealing with. I really think some young people need to take advantage of the shepherd that's walking up and down the aisles here at Greater Bakersfield First Pentecostal Church. If you can repent, that's a gift from God. You need to hit this altar right now. If you feel the shepherd leading you, he's the one that restores. He's the one that brings back. Hallelujah. He's the one, hallelujah, that grants repentance. If you can find it in you to repent, he can find it in him to forgive. Defender behind It's worse me. than that, Pharisees. I won't be. Oh, the shepherd's here. I'm feeling the Lord. 